Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show. Our theme, as always, Christianity and its relationship to politics and pop culture. Today will be a pop culture edition, starting with Broadway, moving quickly to movies, and then staying a much longer time on television, television being the primary subject. Lerner and Lowe are best known for the musical My Fair Lady, but they made a lot of great musicals. Brigadoon, Paint Your Wagon, and one of my personal favorites, Camelot. In the film version of Lerner and Lowe's Camelot, King Arthur is portrayed by Richard Harris while stepping away from a menacing, impossible political situation at the palace, making a personal getaway to his favorite neck of the woods in isolation, a literal enchanted forest where Merlin taught him once as a boy. He says, sometimes the only vacation spot in the world is the past. Now, I have always related to that comment because I have always been a person of the past, not a person who doesn't like the present or plan for the future. I love my life in the present, and I think about the future much, not only my own future, but the kind of future our generation is going to be leaving behind for our children and for our grandchildren. Still, I do also love the past. I love to visit the old houses I grew up in, the old neighborhoods and schools I grew up in. I also love the television shows I grew up on. Some people today won't even watch a TV show or movie if it's in black and white. Because to them, black and white means old, and because to them, it just doesn't look as good because it's not in color. For myself, I often prefer black and white. Not because I don't like color. Who wouldn't love color? But instead, because black and white sometimes represents an era, an era of quality. Even in the cases of TV shows that started in black and white and eventually stayed on the air long enough to film color episodes because all the networks finally switched to nothing but color, fans who watch reruns tend to like the early episodes, the black and white episodes, better. Why? Well, for example, the year the Andy Griffith show switched to color was also the year Don Knotts as Barney Fife was no longer a regular. He came back on the show once in a great while. Andy Griffith himself said the show lost its edge when Don left, and he was right. As for Lost in Space, my favorite program when I was in the sixth grade, I hated it when I got into the seventh grade, and in seventh grade, the show was filmed in color. Unfortunately, by that time, the program also stopped being action-packed science fiction and instead turned into idiotic fantasy with silly, stupid stories. With the once evil, once clever, once fun to watch Dr. Smith turning into nothing but a bumbling, cowardly, pitiful, overly used character. This literally caused the fans to feel betrayed. Now, three very old programs that stayed black and white throughout the years, programs that I love today as much as when they were on the air. I Love Lucy, of course, the sitcom as we essentially know it was created by I Love Lucy. Also, The Dick Van Dyke Show and Leave It to Beaver. There are all kinds of shows since then that I loved. Taxi, Cheers, Big Seinfeld Van. They were made in color. They take us all the way up through the 80s and the 90s. But I'm talking now about the programs I grew up on. I Love Lucy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Leave It to Beaver, my favorites among them. Now, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing the actor who played Little Ricky on I Love 
of Lucy. He had become a born-again Christian. He appeared on my radio program to both share his testimony and take questions about his time on I Love Lucy. You can still listen to the podcast version of that program. And in that program, I talk about I Love Lucy enough that I don't think I need to get into it today. So I will move on to the other two sitcoms, Leave It to Beaver and The Dick Van Dyke Show. I enjoyed Leave It to Beaver because the kids all talked and thought like real kids to the point where adults now can look back and appreciate the show they grew up on on a whole different level. Remembering fondly what it was like when they too viewed life through the lens of adolescence and youth. The Dick Van Dyke Show was a favorite because I grew up watching it with my parents and watching how much they loved it. My dad was frequently in a bad mood, so when he was in front of the TV laughing instead of in front of the news shouting, we loved it. But The Dick Van Dyke Show was quality in its own right. There were other programs my parents watched that I didn't like. Dick Van Dyke himself became and remains to this day my favorite performer of all time. His versatility is incredible. Believable acting, comedic timing, singing, dancing, slapstick. Well, he had it all. In Disney's Mary Poppins, filmed at the same time the Dick Van Dyke show was on the air, Mary Poppins was a perfect film vehicle for Van Dyke because he got a chance to showcase all of his talents, but the sitcom itself had so much more. The entire cast, under the writing and producing of the brilliant Carl Reiner, who had once worked as a writer for the Sid Caesar show and now had a sitcom about writers writing for a fictitious Alan Brady show, a part that he played, well, this man offered the perfect orchestration of ensemble comedy. Each character was funny, but for a different reason. It wasn't like some of those sitcoms in later years where family sits around the table and they're all just shouting out sarcastic vibes. Jokes that may be funny in their own right, but you don't see any real development of characters. In the Dick Van Dyke show, every character was funny, but for a completely different reason and a reason always consistent with their character. Sally had dry wit. Buddy had quick one-liners or hilarious insults. Mary Tyler Moore playing Laura was cute. Well, of course she was cute. It was Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, Rob! All right. I said she was cute. I didn't say my imitation would sound cute. Van Dyke himself had slapstick and the timing of a reaction comic. Carl Reiner as Alan Brady was funny because he lost his temper, and I never got tired of hearing him say to his brother-in-law turned producer, Shut up, Mal! Speaking of his brother-in-law, Mel, there were some major flaws in all of these shows. Flaws that I must confess are found far less often in contemporary television series. And that flaw is continuity. Far too many episodes contradicted previous episodes from previous seasons, deviating from their own storylines. It happened in so many obvious ways, one would wonder how it could ever have gone so unnoticed. My guess is that quite possibly it didn't go unnoticed. I doubt that the producers in those days cared because I doubt that the producers in those days realized they were creating classics that would be viewed for the longest time, that would never stop being viewed. Oh, sure, they wanted their shows to be good, they wanted to create quality, and obviously they knew about summer reruns and a brief television heaven called syndication after a show goes off the air for a while, but they probably never imagined that their programs would still be on the air some 50, 60 years later. And if a show is entertaining enough, fans will watch it over and over and over again. 
It's like returning to an amusement park and repeatedly getting in line for your favorite ride. Assuming these producers noticed their own inconsistencies, or at least that somebody on the crew or some viewer writing a letter brought it to their attention, they probably didn't figure on that many fans of the future becoming such television connoisseurs. In other words, what were the odds that somebody would remember an incident in Season 5 that contradicts an incident way back in Season 2, especially when they made some 40 episodes a season in those days, too many to even rerun the entire season in the summertime. And so the inconsistencies, while probably honest mistakes or oversights originally, were not mistakes they ever felt the need to reshoot or try to explain or reconcile in a later episode. But some of us did notice, especially people like me who grew up loving the arts. I'm a writer myself. I appreciate good writing. I appreciate good acting. I also appreciate a time in American life when families and family values were portrayed in a positive light. Like King Arthur of the Camelot film, I too find vacation spots in the past. My own personal adventures from the past, and yes, my own personal favorite TV shows. Here, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove to you what a fanatic I am, or as some might want to put it, what a TV nerd I am. I'll prove it by pointing out the flaws of my favorite programs, which, despite their glaring flaws, remain my favorites. Back to the Dick Van Dyke Show, with Richard Deacon playing Mel Cooley, Alan Brady's brother-in-law producer. And yes, he always remained Brady's brother-in-law on the show, but we heard two different versions as to why. Version one, he married Alan's sister. Version two, Alan married his sister. And how about Van Dyke's lead character, Rob Petrie? In many ways, flashbacks were one of the best features of this program, showing Petrie in the army, meeting Laura, his wife-to-be, going through the birth of their son, showing the day he first came to work as a writer for the Variety star Alan Brady. But in one of these flashbacks, Rob was working as a disc jockey on a daily radio show when Alan Brady discovered him. Great episode. Hilarious episode. And yet, in another episode, we learned that Rob was doing a television news show when Alan Brady discovered him. As for Leave It to Beaver, well, Leave It to Beaver had all kinds of issues. Issues other than Beaver listening to one of his friends talking him into doing something stupid for the 84th time. In one episode, Beaver is helping his dad paint part of the house. Beaver asks his dad if he ever painted actual pictures. Ward said no, explaining that this was not one of his skills. But in another episode, we learned that Ward was such an incredible artist and painter, he almost went to work as a commercial artist. This was the episode where Beaver wanted Dad to paint him a poster for a class project. The whole episode was about what a great artist Ward was and how Beaver had not inherited that trait. And of course, Ward refused, not wanting to do Beaver's homework for him. Beaver learned to do things for himself. There was another episode where Beaver's sore throat is examined by a doctor who says his tonsils may need to come out. At first, Beaver is nervous, but in time, he looks forward to the intention and presents and ice cream he'll get to eat after having his tonsils taken out. Unfortunately, upon the doctor's re-examination, we learn that Beaver and his tonsils are now just fine and will probably grow old together. Good episode. Only one problem. In an earlier season, Wally remembers the time when Beaver as a little kid had his tonsils taken out. Oh yes, and Beaver's best friend after Larry Mundella leaves the series is Gilbert Bates. 
That's Bates with a B. But he's also called Gilbert Gates. That's Gates with a G. And once he was called Gilbert Harrison. Gilbert's dad was a traveling musician, a flute player, which means the family moves a lot. We learn this when Gilbert first appears on the series, moving to Beaver Street and meeting Beaver for the first time. But later on, we learn that Beaver and Gilbert had known each other for years and had grown up together. We also learn that Gilbert's dad is an engineer. Now, can one be both a flute player and an engineer? I suppose, but I doubt very much that Gilbert's dad being a renaissance man was the explanation in the minds of the producers. The explanation is that one of the scriptwriters screwed up. As for Wally's best friend, Eddie Haskell, one of the best characters of all time, even voted one of the best characters of all time by TV Guide years later. You know, the guy who was polite to the parents, but devious to his friends. Oh, good evening, Mrs. Cleaver. Is Wallace at home? And where is young Theodore this morning? Oh, here comes the little fellow now. Great character. He had three different actors playing his dad. Okay, that happens on TV. You get new actors. That's why we call them actors. We know they're not real people. And Eddie's dad was only on the show once in a blue moon anyway. Still, different actors are one thing. Entirely different personalities are something else. Besides, early on, Eddie's dad was George Haskell. Later on, it was Frank Haskell. Maybe he sometimes went by his middle name. Sure. Yeah, that was the explanation. Must have been. Moving on now to a mid-60s classic program that was actually in color from the very beginning. And this won't be a surprise to you. I mention it often. A lot of people mention it often. The original Star Trek, the one with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, Shatner, Nimoy. I actually liked many of the sequel incarnations as well. Next Generation was good. Deep Space Nine was my favorite. I couldn't stand Voyager. Voyager did the impossible. Never did I think the day would come when there would be a new Star Trek episode on the air and I wouldn't care now I hear Enterprise was good but I only saw a few so I wouldn't know why why did I only see a few because Voyager got me out of the habit of watching there are even newer versions on the air now that I've never once seen back to the original series in an early episode Spock talks about one of his ancestors being human that's why he's part Vulcan and part human. But later, a year later exactly in season two, we find out that this ancestor from way back when was actually his own human mother from Earth who married a Vulcan ambassador and together they raised him. And how about the so-called emotionless Spock smiling ear to ear in the pilot episode when he discovers a strange kind of plant on an alien world? Okay, that was the unaired pilot, but they took footage from this pilot, a lot of footage from this pilot, turned it into a flashback scene in The Menagerie, one of the best episodes of all time, a fan favorite, written by Gene Roddenberry himself, winner of the Hugo Award, the most coveted award for science fiction writers so it was made part of the lineup. Spock was emotional in the past, but not in the present. And what about the Prime Directive? You remember the Prime Directive? Nobody in Starfleet is ever to interfere with the natural development or internal affairs of another planet. This was introduced in Season 1's Return of the Archons, but immediately violated, in fact not mentioned at all, in Taste of Armageddon, where Kirk destroys machines which waged computer warfare between two planets for the past 500 years. 
As I said, these were still my favorite programs. They still are my favorite programs. As a Christian, I loved the values. As a Christian, I also forgive their flaws. I deem them classic and priceless despite the flaws. And for good reason, I'm the kind of guy who likes to make the obvious obvious. They were obviously good. They had many obvious flaws. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.